This is The Jason Jones Show, powered by Mudhouse Media. Now, here's Jason Jones. Aloha, everybody, and welcome to The Jason Jones Show. I am your host, Jason Jones. Today, we are going to be interviewing my hero and your hero. I know you've come to know him and admire him greatly. Sali Hudaya, Prime Minister in Exile of Chinese-occupied East Turkestan. What a sorrowful title, in exile. Think about that. Think about that. We talk about the Uyghur. We've been recognized as the most forceful and consistent voice in the world for the Uyghur. And I'm grateful uh, to my audience. I'm grateful to you for sharing these shows. This is the show you share. Because so many people don't even know what's happening in Chinese-occupied East Turkestan. It's the greatest genocide since the Holocaust. It's so unspeakably evil, it's unbelievable. And we're going to be talking to Prime Minister Hedaya today on, he was quoted in the New York Times yesterday as saying Trump was great for Asia, great for the Uyghur, and Biden will be a catastrophe. So we're going to be talking to him about what he meant. What did he, what did he mean that Trump was good for Asia? Trump was good for the Uyghur, and Biden's going to be a disaster. We're going to talk to him about that. And we're also going to discuss this bill, this Uyghur forced labor bill, that Nike, Coca-Cola, and so many other brands that we love, that we love, are lobbying against this forced labor bill. Why? Because they are profiting off of this genocide. And we are not do-gooders here. I say it too much. I know. I don't want to be a do-gooder. I don't want to go around and look for horrible things and say how much I care so people think, oh, what a great guy. The thought of that disgusts me, actually. So then why do we talk about the Uyghur? Because you and I are participating in this genocide. You know that. I know that. I'm looking at my Mac. I wear my Nike Jordan slides around town. It embarrasses my wife because I have white socks on when I do it. You and I, tragically, are participating and profiting, un- maybe unknowingly, begrudgingly, sorrowfully, we're profiting off of a horrendous genocide. So that's what we're going to be talking to Prime Minister Hudaya about. This episode is being brought to you by Movie to Movement, promoting a culture of life, love, and beauty through the power of film. Check out our new film, Divided Hearts of America, at SalemNow.com. An extended release at the pay-per-view channel, SalemNow.com. And the Vulnerable People Project, standing in solidarity with the most vulnerable people in the world when it costs. And it is Giving Tuesday. So I want you to support us. Go to MovieToMovement.com if you want to support our movies. Go to thegreatcampaign.org if you want to support our influence campaigns. We have a match, $10,000 match. We sent an email out today. We are almost halfway to getting that whole $10,000. So your donation helps. $5, $10, $20. We're getting a lot of those gifts. Those mean the world to me. The world to me. So do what you can. Stand with us as we stand in solidarity with the vulnerable. And now um, to one of my dear friends, um, Prime Minister Sali Hudaya on the Jason Jones Show. Aloha. Aloha, Prime Minister Hudaya. Welcome to the Jason Jones Show. 
Aloha, Jason. Uh, good to be back. Thank you. Uh, uh, no, it's good. I actually have the show just for you. I would do your every show would be with Prime Minister Hidayah, but uh, um, I know you're a busy guy. I, I know you have a lot of interviews today. You were quoted in the New York Times yesterday. And I just want to say as a way of almost an apology, you're my brother. I'm going to call you Sali. No disrespect. You are prime minister in exile of East Turkestan. Um, but just for the conversation, I call you Sali. I hope that doesn't offend anybody. I know it doesn't offend you. but No, no, no. No, no offense at all. I mean, we have a good, uh, you know, friendship between us, Jason. So I think that that, that should, um, you know, it, it should be a problem. So, Sally, um, you were quoted in the New York Times yesterday. Um, and before that, there was an article that was this week has been a very sorrowful week for me, but also a very hopeful week. Uh, I've never seen more coverage for the Uyghur than I have in the past uh, week or so uh, from major mainstream outlets. Um, but their coverage has been on the abysmal record of these transnational corporations like Nike and Coca-Cola and sort of the sense of doom that's settling over Asia uh, with the thought of a, a Biden presidency. So uh, the first thing I want to ask you, uh, I think one of the greatest problems facing the Uyghur is the crimes against you are so unbelievable that people really just assume this is hyperbole or exaggeration, um, a misunderstanding. Um, so I want to talk about ex very clearly what is happening in East Turkestan to the Uyghur uh, that is beyond a shadow of a doubt. And then the legislative efforts in Congress to try to protect the Uyghur and then how Coca-Cola and Nike and Mercedes-Benz and others are responding. A report just a report just came out uh, from an Australian think tank saying that they know at least 80,000 Uyghur have been taken from their homeland uh, to China, taken from East Turkestan to China and forced to work in slave labor camps. They said at least 80,000. Uh, and they're making products like Nike shoes. I think when most people read that, they say that isn't true. That must not be real. Is, is, this, is this real? Sally, is this happening? It is very real. I mean, there are videos uh, showing the transfer of Uyghurs to um, uh, young Uyghur men and women to Chinese provinces. There's videos that have leaked of them working, you know, in factories, building, uh, making shoes. Um, the specific factory that um, is, they're talking about for the Nike is Qingdao. It's a, um, a, shoe, a shoe factory in uh, Shandong province of China that produces uh, over 7 million shoes a year for um, Nike. Now, what Nike says, and there have been official responses from some of these corporations that say they have no evidence of direct, you know, their, their direct suppliers are not involved in any of this. What, what does that mean when they say, when Nike comes out and says, none of our direct suppliers are involved in the use of slave labor, slave labor, what does that mean? Well, so they're trying to say that, you know, the companies that they are using to make these shoes are not involved. But when you look at the Qingdao factory, you can clearly see that Uyghurs are being, you know, uh, used as slave labor in the Qingdao uh, factory, several hundred of them. Uh, and Qingdao factory is the primary uh, um, 
supplier of Nike shoes for uh, Nike. So, so this is unbelievable. And, uh, and, and do you think Nike is aware? I mean, Nike is, they're well aware of the fact, right? Yes, yeah, so they're definitely aware. And this is possibly why, um, you know, this is exactly why they are uh, actually pushing back against the Uyghur uh, Forced uh, Labor Prevention Act that we are trying to get passed through Congress. Yeah, so, you know, I, I am a great admirer of Anna Swanson at the New York Times, and uh, she's a courageous woman, and she has this new article where she details, came out this week, that Nike and Coca-Cola are shamelessly lobbying against a bill against forced labor, uh, a bill that says that, that would punish companies. What would the bill do to companies that use Uyghur forced labor? would do is companies would have to certify saying uh, that they it's not made through forced labor um, which will in the case of and others that are lobbying against this or that are complicit in this that means that they would have to hire actual people to work um, you know to pay them rather than using slaves um, and this would cost you know uh, you know this would diminish their uh, profit margins, and that's the biggest issue here. Uh, it would also sanction um, entities, you know, uh, the Chinese entities and uh, companies that are involved um, in, in the forced labor, uh, which means direct uh, suppliers of, um, of Nike and others would be affected, uh, making them having to seek out other suppliers, um, and this would, you know, uh, you know, mess up their supply chain. You know, you know, and and the, and the reality is, the forced labor camps in China. When you put the list of the litany of crimes of the Chinese against the Uyghur, are at the bottom of the list, right? I mean, this is at the bottom of the list of crimes. You have organ harvesting, um, rape, forced abortions, murder. But but I think what makes this so shocking is we are participating in these crimes, right? Our companies, corporations, we own stock in, products we buy, run by people that we went to Yale with or sat next to for six years at Andover, whatever. They, we are all literally participating in this genocide now. Unfortunately, yes. Um, it's not just uh, Nike. I mean, you have Apple, you have Costco, uh, you have Coca-Cola, and several others that are also lobbying against this bill. Um, but we're hopeful that this bill will be passed, uh, you know, within the next few weeks. Uh, the White House is, uh, you know, applying some pressure on Congress to get this bill passed as soon as possible. It already passed through the, uh, the House, uh, 406 against uh, three, and um, it's now uh, yet to pass the Senate. Hopefully the Senate will pass it sooner than later. Now, who were the three that voted against this bill? Uh, it was uh, Representative Massey um, and uh, Representative, I forgot the name. Um, well, that, that's not important. It's just infuriating. I'm, I, I know Representative Massey's staff. I'm going to reach out to them. That's on. I know members of his staff that listen to this show. That's disgusting. Um, 
All right, you said, I want at the end of the show, I want you to tell us what we can do to make sure we put pressure on, on our senators. But um, before that, you were quoted in the New York Times yesterday as saying um, that Trump was good for, it was better for Asia than Joe Biden. Can tell us about your quote and, and what you meant by that. Oh, so President Trump has done uh, his administration, um, especially, you know, Secretary Pompeo, uh, Vice President Mike Pence, they have done uh, much more for the Uyghurs um, on our issue than really any other administration and more than any other country, actually. In fact, you combine all the other administrations in the past and pretty much all the other countries in the world and the actions that they've taken, um, you know, the, the U.S. Trump administration has done by far more than all of them combined. Uh, we're actually anxious. Uh, we're a bit worried. In fact, not a bit worried, quite, quite a lot of worried uh, about a possible uh, Biden administration because uh, the gentleman he has picked for Secretary of State uh, back in 2015, right when China was planning these concentration camps, uh, it announced that it's, you know, fighting against uh, Uyghur terrorism and separatism. And uh, Anthony Blinken, uh, he supported that. He said, you know, we support China's efforts to, you know, fight against terrorism and uh, we will, you know, we look forward to cooperating with them, etc. Anthony Blinken is, is, it's a horrifying thought, not just for the Uyghur, but also for the minorities in Syria. And this is a guy that's never seen a war he didn't like. Uh, never seen a tyrannical regime he didn't like. Uh, it's, it is really horrifying uh, when you think about the, the implications. And our work at, we, uh, at the, you know, at the Vulnerable People Project, are going to have our work cut out for us. You are, are going to have your work cut out for us. Can you give us an example? I know, I know Ambassador Brownback, uh, Ambassador-at-Large in Religious Liberty. I worked for him. Um, I had the privilege of, of working for him when he ran for president. I know that he has been very bold and courageous, even speaking up for the Uyghur when he is on the ground in China. In fact, he went to China and, and spoke up for not only the, the Uyghur, but also Christians and the, and the democracy activists. And uh, all of his events <laughs> subsequently in China were, were not well attended. No one showed up. But, um, but besides the, the power of words, which I think mean a lot, right? Especially when you have representatives of the world's most powerful economy and military stand by you, that means a lot. But can you give us some specific examples of what the Trump administration has done uh, for the Uyghur? So, yes. So the Trump administration, um, they have signed the Uyghur uh, Human Rights Policy Act into law this past June. They have sanctioned uh, several uh, senior Chinese officials that are responsible for the uh, atrocities in East Turkestan. And most importantly, you know, they sanctioned uh, a Chinese uh, paramilitary entity, uh, which is essentially the colonizing force in East Turkestan that is, you know, directly um, responsible for all the atrocities. And this is like, uh, think of, you can think of it like a East India Dutch company um, or the British India, uh, uh, India company uh, like that. It's a colonizing force of three and a half million. Uh, it controls all the wealthy, you know, all the wealth uh, in East Turkestan, all the fertile lands, all the areas where there's, you know, natural and mineral resources. 
and it has over 860,000 uh, uh, um, uh, 860, subsidiaries across the world, including the United States um, in 147 countries. Um, so all of their things have been, um, you know, all of that has been sanctioned. So companies that are dealing with the, uh, the Bing Tuan are also going to face, you know, sanctions if they violate it. So what can we do? We've got a couple of weeks. Uh, you know, we want to get this bill into the Senate uh, and onto the president's desk. Uh, what, what can we do? So what we can do is, um, call our mem- members of Congress. I mean, call our senators. Urge them to, you know, immediately uh, pass the uh, Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act. There's also the Uyghur Genocide Resolution, uh, which was recently introduced uh, this past October by uh, the U.S. Senate. We're also trying to get that passed so that the president and others can, um, you know, the government can recognize it as a genocide. Who, who authored that bill? Is that the Rubio wrote that resolution? No, no, it was, uh, I believe it was by um, one second. I think it's, it was by uh, Senator uh, Menendez and Senator Corden. It's a, a bipartisan uh, resolution. Yeah, I think it's important we say their names because, you know, Sally. You know better than anyone. To stand with the Uyghur comes with real cost. It takes real courage. It's not one of these causes. China flexes. And the corporations that profit off of China's crimes flex. And so when a member of Congress stands with the Uyghur, writes legislation in the ben- to benefit the Uyghur, they are alienating some of the most powerful, wealthy corporations in this country, right? Uh, absolutely. And we are truly grateful for, you know, the United States Congress, um, the United States Senate, uh, and the U.S. government, really, for everything that they have been doing, especially uh, Secretary Pompeo. He's been doing a lot to, you know, um, raise our issue on the international forum, get other governments around the world to um, take up our issue and uh, stand up against China's atrocities. You know, he is, a, he is what I call a happy warrior. He's at battle, and he's in, he's bad. He's been battling, and his those closest to him have really been warriors, standing shoulder to shoulder with the most vulnerable people in the world. And I've always said that I know the job of the State Department is to advance our interests around the world, uh, but our republic is unique, and our interests should be aligned with those who are most vulnerable. And I have never seen an administration not I'm a Republican. No republic, they all are the same, really, They're, they, they, in the way that they, they trample over uh, the vulnerable. Um, but this administration has been unique in its thoughtfulness uh, to the vulnerable, whether it's standing with the Yazidi in Iraq or the Kurds and the Christians or in Syria or with the Uyghur in Chinese-occupied East Turkestan. That's unique, right? I mean, typically... They just look to advance our interests and the interests of our companies uh, and to hell with any minority. And they wash their hands of it by saying, well, that's a national issue. That's a Chinese issue. That's internal. That's nothing to do with us. You know, one of the things that the Trump administration did in Iraq was the Kurds were carrying the weight of caring for the displaced peoples. But 
Obama was sending the money to Baghdad and none of that money was making it to Kurdistan. And what did the Trump administration do? They said, no, we're going to send this money to the people that we actually care about. We're not going to pretend they wash our hands of it. Say, well, we sent them aid to Baghdad. We know the aid was going to Tehran, but that's not our business. No, no. The Trump administration said, we, this money is meant for displaced people. They're being sheltered in Kur- Iraqi Kurdistan. We're going to send the aid to Iraqi Kurdistan. This is very unique. And when you, you know, the New York Times had an article, I don't know if you saw it this week, does a return to normal, what does that mean? Does that mean more wars? Does that mean more abandoning ethnic and religious minorities? And, Sally, if not for people like you and your leadership, that's exactly what it is going to mean, isn't it? Unfortunately, um, that's what essentially has been deemed as, as sick as it is, as normal as normal by, you know, many uh, countries or many powerful uh, people uh, um, and entities, uh, companies. For them, you know, as long as they profit from you know, they continue to make their profit. It doesn't matter if there's a genocide going on. And, and meanwhile, you know, we're, 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 it's, it's almost cringeworthy. It is cringeworthy that we're, we're, you know, shaking our nation to its foundations over crimes a century ago in this country. You know, Facebook, I don't know if your organization has had this problem, Sally, but you know, Facebook, it doesn't allow Holocaust deniers. You can't post anything denying the Holocaust on Facebook. But I have not been able to place an ad using the word Uyghur. I cannot boost a story using the word Uyghur for about six months. If the word Uyghur is um, in the I story, actually, I can't boost it. It's been like that for about six months. We've actually had the same problems. Um, we haven't been able to run ads. Uh, last year we were able to run one, then it got flagged, and after that we weren't able to run. And it was it was not a political ad or anything. It was just calling people to come to this, attend this demonstration to speak out against China's genocide of Uyghurs. Yeah, we have tried to boost articles from mainstream outlets that I didn't write, or my partner said I didn't write. We just tried, like, say we tried to boost. I'm going to do it today. I'm going to try to boost this New York Times article. And Facebook is not going to allow it. They have not allowed it for six months. They will not allow me to boost articles from mainstream outlets. Yeah, Facebook, I mean, even Twitter, uh, some of, like, the things that we post are, like, you know, flagged as sensitive, and I don't find anything sensitive about it, uh, which is, you know, there's other things that are much more sensitive and I don't see getting flagged at all. It's really unbelievable. So we're going to put uh, Prime Minister Hudaya in the show notes. We are going to put your website. We'll put a link to how to find your senator and how to how to find your senator's uh, information. Is there anything else you want us to put in the show notes today? I mean, really, um, we have an upcoming demonstration on uh, December 10th uh, here in D.C. Um, and in New York uh, in front of the U.N. in D.C. on Capitol Hill. Uh, at the at the U.S. Capitol to um, protest, uh, you know, China's atrocities um, as it's International Human Rights Day, and to call on you know uh, governments around the world to uh, you know make human rights the priority when engaging in any for, uh, form of uh, business or diplomatic relations with China. 
I, 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 com- I commit to you. I'm going to be at one of those two locations. I'm not sure which one. We can talk about that offline. And also, I want to invite you on December 12th in Washington, D.C. There will be a million people descending on the nation's capital, praying for an end to corruption and praying for fair elections called the Jericho March. I'm one of the speakers, and I gave the dopa that you gave me away. I would like to wear a dopa when I pray. And I'd like you to be stand next stand next to me on stage with a million people coming from all over the country, and I'm going to include. I'd be honored. I'm going to include the Uyghur in my prayer. So what we'll do is that's in a little over a week. I'll see you either in New York or Washington D.C., and then on the 12th we'll stand together in front of a million Americans, and we will pray for the Uyghur together. And I'm looking I'm looking forward to that. I look forward to it too. Thank you. God bless you, Jason. Prime Minister Hudaya, I would say be very hopeful. You know, uh, these things have a way of turning fast. And when things seem the darkest is often when the reversal happens. And I think that the sense of urgency that the Biden administration puts in us, that we need to do something, and we need to build a very broad and diverse coalition of folks. Uh, this is really, the you know, the concentration camps in Germany did not become death camps until 1943. And my great fear is there was a lot of death in those camps before 1943. And there's been a lot of death in these camps and brutality and rape in these camps. Um, But now there's reports this week of crematoriums going up, satellite images of newly built crematoriums. And this is all very horrifying. But we have uh, opportunity to do what normal folks didn't have the opportunity to do in 1942. We know. And we have the ability to, to organize, mobilize, destroy whole brands, destroy whole brands in the blink of an eye, just take Nike off the, off the map of the earth. And these are things that we are going to need to do uh, if we're serious about standing with the vulnerable. And, and Sally, my audience is a beautiful, diverse group all over the world. And thanks to your regular appearances, you know, we have Uyghurs listening in countries all across Europe and the Middle East that message me. And I want them to know and I want you to know that our audience, I get so many emails from folks saying, what can they do? How can we help? And I say, well, pray. But now you gave us something very specific to do. Let's call our senators. Let's ask them to support this, this Uyghur bill. And let's uh, let these brands know that we are not going to buy their shoes, their cars, their products, uh, as, as long as, as they are participating in, in a genocide. It's unbelievable. Thank you. Yes. I mean, that's, I think that's essentially what almost everyone we can do. It just takes, you know, a few minutes of your time to call your Senator's office and, um, you know, urge them to, uh, uh pass the, uh, Uyghur forced, uh, labor prevention act as soon as possible. Also urge them to, um, uh, co-sponsor the, uh, Uyghur genocide resolution. Well, Sally, uh, Prime Minister Hidaya, I know that you're stepping in to do a major TV show, so I'm going to let you go do your TV show. Thank you for taking time on your busy day. I know after that New York Times article, your wall-to-wall interviews. So thank you for taking time to uh, come on the Jason Jones Show. Thank you for giving me the opportunity, Jason. God bless. I'll see you next week, brother. Aloha. Aloha. All right, God bless. Later, Sally. All right, guys. You know, sometimes I, um, are you there, Sally? Okay, I wanted to know you could jump off. Uh, sometimes when we talk about issues this big, I, I myself personally feel like I'm just wasting my breath, that 
What am I doing? What can I do? It's unbelievable. What can I do? What can you do? What can we do when on the other side of the world, uh, one of the most powerful countries in the history of the world, China, is relentlessly waging a genocide. The tech giants are censoring our ability to communicate on it. The most powerful companies in the world are lobbying Congress to stop legislation designed uh, to end it. And then here, you, here I am, you know, speaking into my Roadcaster Pro to tens of thousands, just, you know, tens of thousands of people. What is that? What is 40,000 people, 50,000 people in a world of 7 billion? What can we do? You know, we can do a lot, but we don't feel it. You know, it's like when you're in the middle of the ocean on a rowboat and you're rowing, you don't feel it. And sometimes I say, what do we just do-gooder? I just, I, the last thing in the world I want to be is a do-gooder because a do-gooder does quote-unquote good so people think well of them. It's not really about the other, it's about themselves. The idea of being a do-gooder horrifies me. That's probably why I, I'm such a jerk on the road. So to prove to people I am not a good person, cut me off in traffic, and you will see very quickly I am no nice guy, no good guy, um, and I don't want to be a do-gooder. But the thought of millions of people Countless mothers, countless fathers ripped away from their children, having their organs harvested. You don't even believe it. I don't believe it when I say it. It's true. When I was in Iraq and I witnessed the crimes of of ISIS with my own eyes, and I came back and I told some of the stories, I felt like a liar. I felt like the very things I saw when I was in Sudan, I met a boy who was a slave who'd escaped and then had been crucified by his master. For, uh, no, he didn't escape. He lost some sheep. He had been redeemed when I met him. But he had lost some sheep. On a day he went to church, his master let him go to church. And while he was at church, his sheep got away and uh, he was crucified. He lived. Had later been redeemed. That's when I met him. And uh, I would tell the story about I met a young man who had been crucified. What his master said is, you know, because when you go to church... Um, you lost my sheep, so you're going to have to go to church here next week, so build a cross. He had him build a cross. He said, that's going to be your church, and then he crucified him, nailed him to the cross, met the kid, saw the wounds, heard the story, told other people, and I don't even tell that story anymore because it doesn't even seem true. And tragically, years after being redeemed and being in his village, the Janjaweed, the instrument of genocide from Khartoum, raided his village, and then he had, he'd, he's been killed. He died. He's died. He's dead. Um, these stories don't seem true. And then, really, what can we do, we ask ourselves. There are all sorts of horrible things happening all over the world and in our own neighborhoods, and so we need to start close to home. But the problem is the Uyghur genocide is close to home because you have Nike shoes in your house. I have Nike shoes in my house. I am looking at my Apple computer and my Apple phone as I talk to you. I often think when I touch my phone, pick up your phone, touch it. And sometimes I cry when I do this. This is an exercise I do, this little spiritual exercise. Pick up your phone, touch your shirt, and ask yourself who made it. 
look at it. You're looking at it, right? Ask yourself, who looked at this screen? Who looked? Who touched this shirt? Who put it in a box? And did they think about me? Did they wonder, where is this going? And what is the life that the person who is going to use this, what is their life like? And they're thinking, I can't even imagine. As they're shuffled from their bunk to a cafeteria, to a factory, cold, hungry, lonely, scared, hopeless. And they looked at the screen. They built this. That's how I do my business. That's how I provide for my family. Today's Giving Tuesday. It's my son's birthday as well. So I'm trying to spend breakfast with my family. And I'm using my phone to raise money for my apostolate on Giving Tuesday. And on this phone, I raised $1,200 today. Messaging people, hey, it's Giving Tuesday. I have a matching grant. I raised $1,200 on this phone. And that $1,200 is for those people by the grace of God. But how much do we do on our cell phones, our computer? How much money have you made through your laptop? We shouldn't ever be ashamed of our prosperity. Because the foundation of our prosperity is freedom and fairness. Economic freedom and fairness. That's the engine. And I believe in free trade and fair trade and capitalism. It's totalitarianism that allows for mass exploitation. But how dare we participate in it? This is the iPhone 11 I have. I thought it was the newest one. I was bragging to my kids. We all have iPhone 11s. We're the fanciest family in town. They're like, Dad, there's an iPhone 12 now. What if this phone cost three times as much and I still was on my iPhone 4? Would I be okay? Would we be okay? I think we'd be okay. I believe in fairness. So do you. I want prosperity. So do you. I want prosperity for everyone. One of our mottos in the Jones family is live small so you can live large. That means let's have little wants. Right? Let's not, let's not consume, consume, consume. But, but let's live large. What do I mean, what do we, what do I mean to, with my kids by living large, right? We, we have the smallest home of all of our friends. But my kids do more sports, more activities, right? We have a bigger library in the house. We live large. Live small. I have the most beautiful network of friends around the world. So we don't want to be do-gooders. We are grateful for being prosperous. But we don't want to live off the suffering of others. We need to be consistent in this in all so many ways. Border security is about not wanting to exploit vulnerable migrants, not luring people into a dangerous underground economy to be exploited. This legislation that we want to support for the Uyghur, what is this about? This is we don't want to be, we don't want to participate we don't want to profit off of forced labor. Nike and Coca-Cola are lobbying. I'm going to put it in the show notes. Nike and Coca-Cola are lobbying against the Uyghur forced labor bill. New York Times, right? Not Steve Bannon's war room. You'll hear it there. You should, you should be listening to that every day. Because you were hearing it there 
from the beginning. You've been hearing this on the Jason Jones Show from the beginning. By the way, on my show, this was the first show in the world you heard in February and March and April that COVID lockdowns will lead to starvation of the most vulnerable people. Guess where you can hear that today? Everywhere. And I said it then. They will tell us that the shutdowns cause starvation after they've caused starvation. And if you watch the morning news programs, that's all they have been talking about this week. I saw an agriculture industry insider report. The number one, they look at, they aggregate food issues through social media and in Google searches. And the number one food issue in America the past two quarters has been food insecurity in the United States. You probably have to go back to the 60s or earlier before, I'm going to look into that, before that that has been the number one issue of concern for the ag industry in the United States is food insecurity in the United States. So, again, another long rant brought to you by Attention Deficit Disorder, not treated. Um, So I'm just going to wrap this up. I'm going to put all this in the show notes where you can find your member of Congress, the New York Times article, Sally's organization. I'm going to do something also in the show notes as I'm going to say in the intro. This is Giving Tuesday. This show is brought to you by Movie to Movement and Movie to Movement's Vulnerable People Project. I founded this organization in its, in its original name, the Campaign for Human Rights and Dignity, right after I got out of grad school in 2002, a little, little while after getting out of grad school. And uh, I wanted to found an organization that stood with those who were abandoned and vulnerable that other people lacked the courage to stand with because there was a social cost. And I knew that standing with the child in the womb had a social cost, which I didn't care about. You know, I didn't care about, I, I, you know, in college when I founded the Pro-Life Student Union, there was a social cost. But I'm so athletic, handsome, and charming, I didn't care. <laughs> I already had enough friends. I started college with two kids. And I would look at how people tried to shame me or, and I'm like, do you think I care? I have two kids. I have two jobs and I got two kids and I'm going to college. I don't care, professor, shame me, whatever. I'm good. And so I thought when I was in school and I studied um, politics and I read the book Death by Government and I became really interested in the famines in China caused by Mao and the cultural revolution and the culture of shaming. And I saw as an undergrad, you know, to be a pro-life student in a university in the 90s, it's a lot like almost, you know, what uh, people had to suffer during the cultural revolution. And I thought, you know what I want to do? I'm going to stand for those human rights causes that no one is willing to stand with. So initially, when I founded the Campaign for Human Rights and Dignity, we had three issues. It was abortion. It'll always be abortion. Number one, core, you deny the dignity of the child in the womb, you're not going to stand with anyone. You cannot stand with the child in the womb. You're not going to stand with any truly vulnerable person if there's a cost ever. That's how you know. And then it was DDT. Lift the global ban on DDT, which, was, which killed half a billion people in Africa and Asia because of stupid Western ideology, bad science. DDT was good enough to protect us, but, uh, you know, too dangerous, I guess, to protect Africans and Asians. 
So my two goals in college were, A, to end abortion in my lifetime and to lift the global ban on DDT in my lifetime. Well, the D global ban on DDT was lifted a long time ago. I think four years, five years after I got out of college. Uh, and, um, and the one-child policy. That was another one of our early issues. And so we've continued, we've grown. We learned how to use the power of film. I decided to change the name from the Campaign for Human Rights and Dignity to Hero around 2004 or 5. We changed our name. And at the time, our, our big project was we were sending nurses to Romania uh, on tourist visas to work with unwanted, discarded children. So we were doing pro-life work. We were sponsoring nurses. We had a very small budget. I was writing and speaking and working for other organizations to pay the bills and political campaigns and the RNC, whatnot. And then we made the movie Bella. But we, we and that's when uh, Hero, uh, we changed the name to Hero, by the way, around this time because Amnesty International refused to put Osama bin Laden in their list of dangerous people because they said it was, he was too dangerous to put on the list. And he had to, they had to think of their, the safety of their employees. I thought, if you work for me, you need to be willing to die. So our name will be Hero. My employees have to be heroes. I figured sooner or later, something bad is going to happen to somebody who works for us. Remember, I had a young man who was working for my well program. Um, now it's Dig Deep, uh, George McGraw. Um, it's, it's, we spun it out on its own. So he, after graduating law school, he came to work for me. And he was a young man. And I said to him, you're a young, smart guy. I want to know if you're a do-gooder or not. And so you're going to go to Sudan. And he, and he said, uh, when are we going? I said, oh, there's no we here. I got other things to do. You are going alone. And you are going to look for locations that are most desperate, where it's going to be the most expensive and other aid organizations. Because the way the Wells programs works is groups, they don't want to, they want to be able to say they did, you know, Wells for $3,000. And other groups charge takes 10,000. I said, well, some places it takes 15,000 to do a well because it's very dangerous, very remote, and the water's very deep. So those locations don't get water. So I said, you're going to go scout out those locations where wells are the most expensive and the most hazardous, most dangerous, or other groups don't want to go. That's where we'll go because that's our mission. We're hero. And he says, I could die. I said, yeah, you could die. I mean, that's why I'm not going. My wife's pregnant. I got kids. And he went, and I knew one of two things was going to happen. I'd never see him again, or he would transform from somebody who wanted to be a do-gooder to somebody who would do good, and now he's doing great. Um, I don't know where that digression came from, but that's what it is. We want to stand with the vulnerable when no one else will stand with them, where there's a social cost, where there's a risk. And it all goes back from my experience standing with the child in the womb in college and, realize, and watching all the students talk about all these social causes where there was no social cost. And I knew then, if they're not going to risk a social cost now when they don't have a career, they haven't invested decades into a business or into a position in a hierarchical corporation, uh, and they have nothing to lose, but yet they're not willing to risk anything. I realized that that's, just like when I was a young father unable to protect my child from a forced abortion and felt helpless and alone, there are all sorts of people feeling, feeling helpless and alone because there's a real cost to stand with them. So that's my long way of saying when you support movie to movement 
and the Vulnerable People Project, which are really just two programs that we do business as underneath the Human Rights Education and Relief Organization. When you support us, you need to know, I promise you, we are the most highly leveraged organization in the world. We punch way above our weight. This year alone, with a budget of less than $500,000, we wrote countless articles, white papers, uh, ran influence campaigns, produced a movie and distributed a movie in the midst of COVID, Divided Hearts of America. We're covered on Fox News, Hollywood Reporter. From the Hollywood Reporter to InfoWars, you have heard my voice, seen my work, seen our work, your work. And every time, everywhere we go, you need to know we are standing with the vulnerable. And so you go to movietomovement.com, and if you donate today or tomorrow, we have a matching grant up to $10,000. And we are, and just since this morning, with an email we sent out, we have reached almost half of that match. So we need another $5,000 to get that whole grant. That still will leave us short another $28,000 to end the year in the black, because I am like Patton. If you give me enough gas to go to Paris... Uh, you'll find me out of gas somewhere between Paris and Berlin. That's how we are because there's a lot of work to do. So go to movietomovement.com or thegreatcampaign.org, our two main programs. You donate there and those will be restricted gifts to those programs. They are doubled. Um, They are doubled. Some of you can become a major donor. And I'm the worst major donor guy in the world because I, I get into the friend zone with my donors and then I, they're my friend and I hate to ask them for money. And then I only ask them for money when we're really up against the wall or we have a, a real urgent project. So if that's you, um, email us or donate to us. Uh, if you want more information about what we do, you know, it was a great, when Steve Bannon said on Newsmax and then on my interview with him that our work was the primary reason the Trump administration took the plight of the minorities so serious in Iraq, that meant a lot. We were the primary influence on the Uyghur, uh, on the administration. That meant a lot. And that's what we, we seek to do. We seek to stand with the vulnerable. I'm going to end on this. My son is learning how to write an essay. He's 14 years old. He had to write an essay on writing an essay, on thesis and hooks. And I said to my son, I want you to go look at all of your father's articles from when I was an undergrad until today. And I want you to see that my thesis never changes. Not in my movies, not in my books, not in this apostolate. Hero, Movie to Movement, The Vulnerable People Project. Our thesis is always the same. All that I ever change are the hooks. For three decades now, we have, I have been committed to this one thing. And almost for two decades now, 18 years, um, first is the campaign for human rights and dignity, and then is hero because see her doesn't sound good anyway. Uh, this organization has, has had the same thesis. And what is that? To promote the incomparable dignity, dignity and beauty of the human person and to inspire solidarity with the vulnerable. And we do that. And, and I promise you we will continue to do that. We don't count the cost. And um, if there's no cost, we move along. That means we've succeeded. And I hope there is a day where I don't take Sally's calls because Sally doesn't need me and I'm always operating on triage mode and where the Uyghur are free and independent and safe and I don't need to talk to Sally Hudaya anymore as much as I love him. 
Um, I will move along. So go donate. It's Giving Tuesday. Again, this long rant has been brought to you by ADHD. And this podcast has been brought to you by Movie to Movement, promoting a culture of life, love, and beauty through the power of film. That's how we punch way above our weight. You know, with Movie to Movement, um, Justice Alito told me Bella was his favorite movie. How is that? I get Supreme Court justices, senators, congressmen, big influencers. Rosie O'Donnell, Bella's her favorite movie. Um, Movies are how we punch way above our weight. And the Vulnerable People Project, that's where we run our very thought-out strategic strategic influence campaigns to advance the interests of the vulnerable. And you go there at thegreatcampaign.org. Until next time, uh, it's the Jason Jones Show. Donate to us today. I don't care if it's $5. I love those gifts because I know that's when those gifts hurt. Uh, $5, that's all you can do. Please do that. And look in the show notes and please call your senator and ask them to support the Uyghur forced labor legislation. It will all be in the show notes. All right? It is my son, Andrew Breitbart Jones' birthday. Uh, So happy birthday to my son, Andrew Breitbart Jones. And until next time, the Jason Jones Show. Aloha. This has been the Jason Jones Show, powered by Mudhouse Media. Oh, 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 oh,